any given Monday. The weekend's over, the final sirens have sounded. We've got our winners and losers, our champs and our chumps. Any given Monday. So now it's time to look back and evaluate all the games, dramas and controversies from the best sport in the world. Any given Monday. So forget about those back-to-work blues and settle in for this week's edition of Any Given Monday. Please join your hosts, author and historian Dr Dan Eddy and local football expert Owen Carter as they're joined by special weekly guests for your most comprehensive wrap of the weekend's action. Let's get to it. Any Given Monday. And welcome to our second edition of Any Given Monday, brought to you by papernews.com.au, your your go-to shop for all things local news and sport, and uh, might I just say, uh, not just sport and, and local uh, news anymore, but uh, the main man, Matt Dunn, has uh, sexed it up a bit this week with a, uh, <laughs> with a story about what we should and shouldn't be doing in the bedroom, and doesn't affect me because I don't think a woman's talked to me for about five years. But for anyone who actually has a bit of <laughs> a bit of uh, uh, friendship going on, uh, Maddie Dunn's just poured cold water on that. At the same time as he's uh, basically labelled himself a stud um, in his younger days, so a uh, very interesting time. So go to papernews.com.au to check <laughs> check that story out. Uh, I am Dr. Dan Eddy. Um, I thought I'd better introduce myself and my co-partner is the uh, the expert of all things footy this side of Melbourne or pretty much anywhere in Owen Carter. How are you, mate? G'day, Dr. Dan. Great to be with you again and welcome listeners. Yes, hopefully we've got uh, more than just our parents listening this week, mate, which would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, I managed to, to rope, talk about. rope in a few mates to listen. <laughs> uh, one thing we we will be talking about, this show is basically this week a St Kilda and Essendon show because uh, <laughs> they're the only two games that have any real relevance to what's um, what's happened this week. That's the only two games we care about. Uh, we might, we've got a few interesting topics to discuss actually, but I thought we might just, uh, I know you've been chomping at the bit since Thursday, which seems a long time ago now, but you really want to tell us how good the Saints were. Oh, so uh, why don't you get started? And it's just before you do, uh, we've got a very special guest about to uh, jump on the line too, so stay tuned for that. When we're talking Essendon and great players, uh, we've just roped someone in uh, who uh, who knows a thing or two about goal kicking, so uh, stand by for that. But Owen, you better give us your St Kilda rundown. Strap yourself in, listeners. We're going to be talking Saints for the next hour. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, it does seem like a long time ago. Uh, Thursday, doesn't it? it? Seems like a really early time to start the round, but you know, it is what it is, and we'll deal with it. I think I'm not too upset with five days of footy, although my wife might disagree with that. Uh, the old Saners, um, look, I was—I think I mentioned last week that I went in with reserve, reservations in regards to whether the Saints would do any good. I mean, Carlton have been doing quite well, but well, the Saints were on top early, weren't they? And that was the main difference. Uh, credit to Carlton—they came back in that in that second half, uh, but Saints clearly went in with a plan. Uh, Jack Steele blanketed Cripps for pretty much that first half. I think he only had five-odd touches in that first half and had very little effect to no effect on that game. And while he he did rack up a few in those last quarters, uh, there wasn't too much he he could do to get his side over the line. Um, Jack Martin for Carlton. 
I was really impressed with him. He, uh, when Carlton were down and out in that first quarter, he started to get a bit of the ball in that second quarter and kept on doing it and pulled a couple of teammates along with him. So credit to him. He, he uh, stood out to me as one of my champs. Uh, but Jack Steele, uh, fair thing. I mean, he, he just did the job of the job of the round on old Paddy Cripps. So uh, a lot of plaudits for Jack Steele. Um, look, there's plenty of other players I could go into, but you I, I go into all of them. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't bore the nonsense Kilda supporters. So <laughs> look, um, uh, Saints disposals looking much better this year. I think I touched on last week as well that Saints running game had looked really good, but when a team is able to counter that. What's their plan B? Uh, look, the Saints still made their running game work, but they did it without Zach Jones, who was out, and he. They also did it without Brad Hill, who was pretty unsighted for most of the game, so he was a bit of a chump for me. Um, and Mark Murphy, he had a game to forget, really. Um, <laughs> didn't do a lot. <laughs> uh, gave away a few frilly, uh, silly frees, rather. So, so yeah. Uh, you have any thoughts on the game, Dan? Uh, and we we didn't say the score, but the Saints uh, 11-7-73, got over the Blues 8-7-55, and I could hear my mate Owen uh, screaming uh, with joy all the way over at his home, which is a good 45 minutes from me, so <laughs> he, uh, he was pretty happy. Um, I was just impressed by, uh, I guess I could go into all the blokes you've just mentioned, but there's a, there's a completely different feel about the way your team plays this year. Um, there's a bit more of a an X factor to them. I'm big on teams having an X factor, and the Saints seem to just have a. They're not as almost seemed a bit bland. They seem to have too many players, the same size, the same build, you know, the yeah. same sort of bloke. Whereas now there's a bit of everything, and and your forwards have learned how to kick straight, and it's a just a completely different buzz around the place. And I think guys like Dan Butler and and these guys have really added some. Um, Enthusiasm or in a, in a different pace. I mean, you've definitely got quicker, um, if that's possible. You definitely got quicker yeah. this year, um, and you caught you're catching teams out. And I'd be getting a bit excited in what is a very weird year. Mm. I'd be a little bit excited as a Saint. Uh, not not necessarily talking premierships, but just the, the sniff of finals. And just you get that vibe around the place. It's a completely different feel. You'd know better than me, mate, because you've you've watched yeah. on a number of times over the years. But you just must sense that there's a bit of um, something different happening. There definitely is, and credit to Brett Ratton for bringing that in. But yeah, um, yeah, the the most seasoned Saint supporter will always go into uh, seasons uh, trying not to drink their own bathwater. I think we did it a little bit in the preseason when uh, we toppled Hawthorne and looked pretty good there. And round round one comes along, and North Melbourne pip us at the post. But no, as you say, definitely looking very different side, and as you say, a bit of bit of X factor around, which is really good to see. Essendon supporter, I was very disappointed with what Carlton dished up, considering they were at their best against us the week before. They seemed to save themselves for us and then turn in their stinkers around Essendon, so I was very disappointed. But I am I am wrapped for Sam Doherty, who's come back and, um, you know, was probably better against Essendon than he was against the Saints, but he was, ver- he was still very valuable. for. He's just... He adds a calmness down back that the Blues sometimes lack, and I guess Weedering's stood up a bit for them as well. But um, Doherty's been the feel-good story, really, coming back from that knee and doesn't look to be hindered by it at all and is just doing his best to control. They just they lack a bit up the field to uh, to match some of the other teams, but I was at least wrapped with his uh, 
he's been coming on really well. Yeah, indeed. Um, I think I touched on that last week. How Doherty, how or how important Doherty is to to the Carlton side. Um, look, Geary actually did a really good defensive forward role on Doherty for that first half and really nullified his ability to get that runoff half back. And once the damage was done, um, Doherty got a bit loose and got a few touches on the board. But uh, the other uh, before we jump to the next game, uh, Will Setterfield, what Carlton got from GWS, I was pretty impressed with his game as well. He turned it over a couple of times, but he really had a red-hot go. Uh, he could have turned it over 55 times and it wouldn't have affect, it wouldn't have put him below the Frio Adelaide players, so we'll get on to that in a little while. So. But, um, just one more on the Saints before we welcome our, our guest is uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Brett Ratton and the way he's what, – what has he done, do you think, that's sort of changed the, the team dynamic? Yeah, from the outside looking in, he's pretty open and honest, isn't he? Um, He's he's pretty clear in his message uh, in what he wants, and he I th- think he's the type of bloke that uh, is able to build those personal relationships with the players, and the players want to play for him. So I think that's the first barrier that has been put out of the way, and now the performance just has to be uh, performed on the field, and we're starting to see the results of that. I think definitely. I reckon we'll be talking more Saints in the weeks ahead. Uh, now, well, this is a pleasure for me to welcome our guest. If he's still hanging on the line, I hope he is. But he's uh, he's uh, a former Essendon great, which is timely given we've just had a good win over the, over the Magpies. Um, played 84 games for the Bombers, uh, kicked 216 goals. Also had a stint over in WA at Claremont and played in a premiership in, in Port Adelaide for the, for the Sandfield team there as well. But he's best remembered for... Uh, Chucking on the the dark rim black glasses and uh, running out onto a footy field against some of the tough defenders of the league and jumping over them and kicking around them and running rings around them and he was just a very exciting player back in his day in uh, 1968 to 72 era in particular. Um, I'm speaking of the great Jeff Blethen who joins us from South Australia. G'day Jeff. G'day Dan, Doctor Dan. It sounds as though we're watching Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> well, yeah, we started off giving you a bit of uh, sex advice from our from our resident uh, writer, and yeah, yeah. Well, um, mate, you should try uh, try coming back from prostate cancer and on the hormones. There's no there's no sex period when you've uh, when you've just recovered from that. So I'm not. I don't need to read that article. <laughs> how how is that? Uh, you, you had that in a year or two ago, didn't you, Jeff? You had um, had a bit of a scare, so you're you're going okay now. Yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer in 2012, and chose to do a wait and watch. And um, fortunately, the advancements in techniques of treatment, etc., have really improved. And um, last year, I went through a, a dose of radiation on my spine and back and prostrate, and uh, and then uh, 18 months I've been on hormones, and um, and I've just about down to my 0.002 of my PSA, which is the measurement. So I'm just about all clear. I'm 99.9%. percent i have got another week to go and another visit to my cancer specialist, who's a mad keen Essendon supporter, which just the stroke of luck. <laughs> uh, Dr. Leong in um, here in Adelaide, and he used to. He, he said to me, you know, I looked at him. He's short, uh, Vietnamese, and hardly any hair. And uh, he said, 
are you are you that guy that played for Essendon, Jeff Blethen? And I said, yeah. I said, I. And I looked at him as if, you know, he was from Mars, not expecting him to have any idea of my past. And uh, he said, yeah, I, I went to uh, study. I used to go and watch you in the game. I used to stand out in the outer. <laughs> so I thought, oh, beauty, you know. Now, well, now give me the diagnosis, Doc. Yeah, he softened <laughs> you up. And then, uh, <laughs> no, that's good, mate. That's fantastic to hear yeah. that you're almost, yeah, no, good, uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Well, yeah. you would have been, yeah. you and your wife, Rowena, over there would have been quite happy with Essendon's uh, 10-3-63-7-6-48 win over the Pies on Friday night. I was, and especially when Tipper started to getting a few kicks because she, she's very... Um, um, What's the word? She can't concentrate very much on. She can't wait for him to get the ball, so she goes off into the kitchen and starts doing the dishes, which I'm happy about. And then um, I'll yell out when he gets the ball, so she races in to see him kick it, mark it, dispose of it, kick a goal. And then if he's nowhere near it in the next minute or so, she goes back out and does something else. So I thought he <laughs> he was a real contributor, um, which helped turn the tide. Yeah, for sure. Um, what it was, yeah, it was a nervous start, wasn't it? That um, three goals down, and I know I was on the text message with you, and I was, we, both, we both weren't too wrapped with the start, and we were <laughs> thinking we were in for a long night. So uh, it was pretty exciting when it started to turn around. I guess you know, mid midway late in that first quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and and I thought they were so slick and sharp, Collingwood. I thought, my goodness me, how many times have you and I, you know, on Anzac Day, text each other about, you know, the start that, uh, you know, goes wrong. And um, I thought this is going to be either a short night and I'm going to turn it off at quarter time or um, it'll be a long night, whatever. And uh, I thought some of the young guys really stood up and I thought uh, Ridley on number 14, I hadn't taken much notice of him. I thought he showed great pause. Yeah. you know, and his intercept marking, and I was really wrapped with um, number 33, Ham. I hadn't sort of noticed him much before, and there was that moment on the camera on the TV where he had that boyish look. He was lying on the ground near the boundary line. It just caught him, and I thought, wow, he, he looks about 15. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's got uh, what I call grunt, that kid. Uh, I really like him. Yeah, I liked Ham too, but his uh, mullet for me got three votes for that game. Uh, very nice mullet, uh, Mr. Ham. Uh, what did you think of Snelling's game? I thought he was pretty good too. Yeah, that's the um, short guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dark head. Yeah, yeah I believe that's one, yep. Number 40. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, I liked him, yep. I think uh, it's interesting. I think in years past, they would have got blown away after that start, but I, yeah. I just thought they've got a lot of uh, guys with grunt now, um, you know, regardless of the size, uh, whether they're skinny or, or you know, like this chap. Um, they've actually got some grunt, and um, I think they've got the makings of a, a good side now. And what did you what did you think of Andrew Phillips, the ruckman, playing his first game for us? I thought he, was, uh, he did pretty well up against probably the best ruckman in the game. Yeah, I was just scrubbing his name out. I had Francis, so I'll just write it o- over as Phillips. Number <laughs> very similar, don't they? Yeah, number 34, uh, Brian yeah. Sampson's old number. Uh, yes. um, and uh, I thought he did a really, really good job. I thought he he, he matched it with the grunt. And I, I use that word a lot because I think 
footballers, you've got to have it. Um, and that's something I always look for when I was coaching here at Glenelg. Young guys with grunt, you know, they didn't need to be, you know, knock them down, bash them. But just, um, I think that's Smith, is it? The guy from um, GWS that's come across from yeah, five? Devin Smith, uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's got that. He's got that. And yeah. um, that's what you need. You need plenty of players with a grunt. Yeah, and I think Dylan Shield really showed that. It was one of his better games for Essendon too, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. He certainly gets a lot of possessions. I'm not overly satisfied uh, that he, he disposes of them as well as he should. Uh, uh, but he certainly gets the ball, doesn't he? He does. I reckon that was one of his better ones. Um, he got better as the game went on, skill was. I agree with you this week where he... Uh, he gets it a lot, and he just sort of says, "Right, you you do the rest of the work up the field. I've got it down to you. You, you can. Uh, you're not getting it on a platter, but um, yeah. And the other, the other one, I guess, in which would have interest you, Jeff, was uh, Jake Stringer was the the focal point. And I mean, for a, yep. was it a sort of a ten possession game? But I reckon he had more impact than um, Trelaw, who had thirty possessions. I'd agree with that, and I, I there's de- been a definite improvement in his uh, goal kicking technique. He runs straighter now, and uh, he's confident, and he's got a lower ball drop than he had uh, last year for sure, or for the last few years I've been watching him. So, uh, I, you know, every time he got the ball after that first kick, I thought there's been a change here, and I was every time I was confident he'd kick the goal, which he just about did. I think he missed one out of all the shots that he had. Yeah, he was fantastic. He, every yeah. time he went there, you just expected something to happen. You did, and Dan, you just stole my thunder with the uh, the impact of Jack Stringer with his uh, with the uh, uh, ten possession three goal game better than Trelaw's thirty. Uh, obviously, Trelaw had a a big last quarter there trying to pull him back, but yeah. you didn't didn't tend to notice Trelaw as much as what Jack Stringer did. And um, yeah. actually, touching on some of the Collingwood players, I'd, I'd like to stay on the Essendon love in at the moment, but uh, Collingwood <laughs> did have a couple of. A couple of good players. I, I was pretty impressed with Braden Maynard. Um, yeah. I, I think a good sign from a neutral supporter is when you start getting annoyed by how often someone gets the ball, they're actually pretty good. So I was starting to get annoyed with how often Braden Maynard was getting it, which means he was getting a few uh, touches on the ball and he's been doing that for a while this season now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I coached his, I coached his dad at Glenelg, um, Peter Maynard, old Maxie, and um, he married... Um, Graham Campbell's daughter, and so produced the two Monard boys. And I agree with you, Owen. I thought he was annoying and uh, <laughs> good, and, good, annoying. <laughs> um, but I think he also he sort of got to now of a confidence level where he can, you know, uh, elbow and give a hip and shoulder, and and he doesn't take crap from anybody. You know, I think he's got a great future now. So was his was his dad like that when you coached him? No, his dad was um, amazing. He could recall things, um, and and uh, he was a great motivator. Um, uh, talks all the time, nonstop, um, and has a you know great memory. And of course, he was a rover. He was a rover to Butch Gale in the old days. Oh yeah. Um, and um, had uh, two two sons, Rod and and Dean. Uh, both played footy with um, West Perth, I think. Um, and then Donna, the uh, youngest daughter, yeah, Donna and Cassie. Uh, Donna married uh, Peter Maynard and, and has now got the two Maynard 
uh, Collingwood boys. I think is the other one still at Collingwood. Don't think so. Uh, no, no, I'm not sure. Not, not enough. Yeah. I'd have to delve too deeply into their list to to care about finding out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other the other bloke I was really impressed with is uh, son of a gun Josh Dacos. I reckon he's going to be something. He knows how to find that footy and he knows what to do with it. Um, that's not the first time that's happened either. I agree with that. I thought he looked really sharp and he knows certainly knows where the goals are, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely a trait from his dad for sure. Yeah. yeah and the thing about Collingwood, I thought with Dugowie in the middle um, when he was running through there, I thought that would, would have sort of catapulted them trying to make up for the lack of side bottom in the grunt area, but I thought Essendon outplayed them in that and, um, you know, as a result, matched them with their tackling and, and ball stoppages and then were able to get the ball away a little bit freer than, than what Collingwood did. No, I really feel that Collingwood missed side bottom and, and Howe as well. They're, they're really two key components that Collingwood are missing at the moment. I'd agree with that, yeah. Hey, Jeff, that you... They weren't there though, wasn't it, Dan? <laughs> uh, crying uh, shame yeah exactly yeah um jeff would know a thing about um being a high flyer taking a good mark timing up in the air like it like a jeremy Howe. because jeff when when you come onto the scene mate in what your third game was the 1968 grand final welcome to the big time and you're jumping all over the place, and it was just the buzz of being at the MCG when there's actually a crowd there, and you're you're you you know you're jumping on people's heads, and must be pretty. Uh, you must feel like He-Man. Uh, well, it is a thrill. It's an adrenaline rush, that's for sure. When you do uh, manage to catch the footy, um, you can look like an idiot if you if you miss it. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know he's amazing, Jeremy Howe. I agree with um, with those comments that they certainly miss him. Um, and they really didn't have that same sort of person running across the that that line between full back and uh, the centre line where they could intercept those marks um, like he would regularly do. Yep, for sure. And just uh, before we move on from, we could talk about Essen all night, but your. Your views, we've had some strong chats on goal kicking over the years. Just your views on the, the current state of not just Essendon's goal kickers, but some of the, the better ones in the league or some that disappoint you. How, how do you view the, the goal kicking scene today, mate? Because I'm not sure that the accuracy has actually improved since, <laughs> since your day, even though there's been so many advancements along the way. Well, they talk about routines, and if you've got a... 50-50 routine, which I think most of them have, that's what you'll you'll end up getting, 50-50 or less. And I just shake my head at times at some of the ways that they approach the goal. Um, and it's interesting, if you if you look at the, the people who kick the ball from the side on now, you know, when they're 15 or 20 metres out on a slight angle, they'll tend to kick it around their body. Um and what they're really do is doing is reinforcing what I believe they're missing, and that is finding their kicking spot and concentrating on what that kicking spot is on the ground instead of looking at the goals, um, looking at something behind the goals. Um, if you don't have your kicking spot defined, then you'll have a very poor uh, average result, uh, and you'll end up with 50-50 or less. You know, mm. I, I used to try and get eight out of ten every time I was practising so that at least when I went into the game, so I knew that if I got 50-50, it was a poor effort. 
Um, but if you're only getting a 50-50 result from your routine that's not delivering you anything more than that, you'll you'll get 50-50 and less. Um, but if you have a look at the next person, next game that you look at where somebody tries to kick around the corner, they're not actually looking at the goals. They're looking mm. at the spot on the ground where they think the player who's standing five metres away is going to rush in and get to them. And they're looking within two or three steps in front of them. They look at the goal. They look at that spot. And then that's their focus and kick through it. And, and, and still... You might you you're still lucky to get more than fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can. I'm probably world history's most awkward looking kick, and I'm you know <laughs> hit and miss when I played. But um, Jeff came down to visit me in Langatha uh, a year or so ago, and um, we went for, <laughs> went for a kick up on the went up Jared Roughhead Street as, as it's as it's known in uh, the, where the footy grounds on, named after his family. And um, went up to the footy ground, and we he, he took me through his routine and his special instruction. Jeff did, and uh, my second kick, I reckon it was um, correct. Yeah, second kick. I <laughs> I pinpointed a spot behind the um, a pole behind the goals, middle of the goals. I was probably thirty five out, which was about my distance, <laughs> and. Uh, and I nailed it spot on doing exactly what he said, which uh, I wish I'd had that tuition maybe uh, 20 years ago. I might have been something. I could have been something, <laughs> else, but um, I, there's proof in the pudding. Jeff, Jeff knows what he's talking about. Yeah, well, the other thing that you, you talked to me about, Dan, uh, the other day was that who, who was the most accurate? Well, the, the guy most accurate at the moment is the guy, uh, McStay, that plays for Brisbane. I think he's oh. had seven or eight shots for goal and hasn't missed one. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so he's got a pretty good record. And I was watching him the other night, um, and the ones he shot for goal, he got them, one or two or three, I can't remember, a left footer. Um, and the other guy, I know I've changed topics a bit, but the other guy that impressed me up at Brisbane was um, the boy Berry, number seven in the centre, with the, where's the headband. Yeah. He's, a, he's a real goer, and I reckon they've got... They're, they're very much like the Essendon mould at the moment. They've got a lot of goers in their team, um, and they just get the ball. And um, I think he's done a terrific job up there, that coach. Yeah, he has, Chris Fagan. You're right. He has, so yeah. Let's just jump ahead and, and cover that game because it really was a, a top-of-the-table clash. Um, Saturday night, Brisbane taking on Port Adelaide, and it was the Lions, 12-13-85, who touched them up a bit, 6 12 48 Port Adelaide, a 37 point win. You, you said you watched that game, Jeff. Just uh, anything else that stood out, mate, from that? I, it was the one game I didn't get to see for the round, so I actually missed probably the best, uh, one of the best performances by Brisbane on the night. So just how how impressive were they, and and where do you rank them going forward? I, I think at the at the end of the first quarter, I think Port were unlucky to not be ahead uh, because they they had a lot of rushed shots. Um, you know, they're kicking around the instead of kicking straight through the ball, and and you know a drop punt that you you move you you kick flush, but if you're if you're running at an angle away from the goal, you just angle your foot um, instead of a straight follow through. It's a bend follow through. Well, the Port guys are kicking, trying to kick these things around corners and all over the place. So they were their own worst enemy in that regard, and I think they had one goal four or something. Um, and then in the second quarter, Brisbane 
continued on. It was pretty even of the first quarter, I felt. And I, I, then Brisbane got a couple of lucky uh, lucky turns. You know, um, there was a one umpiring mm. decision that went their way, I think, and they got a 50 metres and something else happened. And, um, and then they just got a run-on of goals, as can sometimes happen. And, you know, one goal became five and um, Port played catch-up thereafter. Yeah, all you have to do is have a look at that scoring worm on the AFL website just to see that sometime in that second quarter, Brisbane just ran away with that game. Um, is there anyone, Jeff, that oh, I missed that game as well. Is there anyone that you okay. sort of noticed that uh, really took the game away from Port? Like I noticed uh, for Port the last week they had uh, some good performances from Charlie Dixon and Hamish Hartlett. Um but those guys were pretty quiet. Was there any specific things that you saw that you took away from that game? Well, Harris Andrews, the fullback, who's, I think, taller than Charlie Dixon, would you believe? Um, <laughs> he, he, he was fantastic in the spoiling aspect of it. And because they put a lot of pressure on the kick forward to where Dixon was more often standing rather than leading, um, and I just uh, one thing just does my head in, that they don't, the forwards don't seem to lead as much uh, today. They seem to, they seem to the, move it around the boundary line, and by the time it gets anywhere near where the forward could go into space, the space is then crowded by players pushing into the forward line. And more often than not, the lead is like a a lead where the ball's kicked high in the air, and the guy can only sort of jump up. There very few times did he actually lead out um, to try and take it on his chest. So most of the time he had Harris Andrews spoiling it away um, uh, quite easily. And then, you know, as a forward, sometimes you get a bit frustrated and he got a bit frustrated. And he had a late shot, really late from about 25 out, and it was lucky to score a point. Um, so that was sort of significant of the night, I felt. Um, Brisbane put a lot of pressure on. Um, they all, there, there was no real standout, I didn't think, for them. Um, they all just seemed to, when the balls were there to be won, they just had that little bit extra grunt to get it. Um, and Ken Hinkley said as much that they, they, that they were, they, uh, Brisbane gave them an uppercut, I think he said, um, which meant that they were just harder at the ball at those key moments. Mm. And you mentioned um, Barry before. Sorry to cut you off, Dan. Um, Barry's been really good, I've noticed. Uh, Hugh McCluggage, who was a high draft pick a couple of years ago, has come along nicely. And pickups yeah. like Lockie Neal and Lyons, they've really added to their depth, haven't they? Yeah, well, Alison Yeoman, who um, came up from the Crows, a big-bodied midfielder, I can't understand mm. what I let him go. Um, he was doing really well in that first quarter and ended up doing um, what appeared to be a calf. So he was off at about the 20-minute mark of the first quarter, but had a number of possessions. Um, uh, and you like Lions, they've they've got that a really nice blend of players that all do their job. Um, and and Lockie Neal's adds adds the class that they probably missed. And then now you've got Charlie Cameron as well, who was who was scintillatingly good. Uh, didn't score a lot of goals, but made some great sort of running efforts down into the forward line and kicked a couple of really good passes to his teammates, which resulted in goals. Yeah, he's got that X factor, hasn't he? He has, most definitely. Well, our our local, or my local, uh, 
pharmacist Brett Nagel is a massive uh, Brisbane Lions fan. You can't go in to get your medicine without him telling you how good they are. So he'll be pretty happy with your um, with your assessment, Jeff, of how good uh, Brisbane were. And they certainly shared the load. You're right, Hugh McClug, he's one of my favourite Lions. He he's probably gets undersold because Lockie Neal's the, the marquee man, I guess. But he's, uh, I reckon the coaches and teammates are probably a bit like Nigel Lappin in their great era that he got probably overshadowed by the other champions, but I reckon the coaches and teammates actually know just how important he is to their team. So, um, I think think they'll get, they'll be buoyed by that win um, because I think they did rate Port uh, really highly Mm -hmm. uh, and rightly so. Um, And I think when you get over those sort of games, you know, especially when there's so many younger players, that'll make them even more confident and, you know, that could... It could catapult them all the way through, you know. I think that win. Yeah, for sure. And with yeah, um, absolutely, and with footy to be pretty much based in Queensland over the next few weeks, um, <laughs> they're um, it's 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 going to be buzzing with the Suns having a pretty good run at the moment as well. So Queensland's the place to be at the minute. Who'd have thought uh, in terms of footy? And Jeff, just before we let you go, mate, uh, yeah. you you were on open mic uh, just last week. I thought it was fantastic. I know Mike's used to being uh, face-to-face a couple of metres from his from his guest in the studio, but he had to, he's obviously doing them um, online or over the over the uh, the camera in, in your home, I guess, this year, wasn't it? So it was really interesting to see. I'm pretty wrapped that you put my always, always striving book just over your shoulder, which was nice of you, but um, I noticed that, um, no, that seemed to flow really well. I thought it was a really good, really good episode. What was it like, though? Because I know you had to talk... You didn't actually see Mike, did you? You had to talk it just into the camera. Yeah, yeah. There was, the camera was about oh, six feet, six feet. And, do we have feet these days? Two metres <laughs> in front of me. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, there's a guy. It was a bit like being at the dentist where, you know, they say, you know, open up, open up your mouth and they start talking to you and ask you a question. Then you can't actually answer it. But it was a bit like looking at that and thinking, okay, what is he looking at? Is he smiling? Is he? And you're trying yeah. to hear the question at the same mm. time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was really pleased with it, how it came across, because you just – I wasn't 100% sure that – because you can't see somebody's mannerisms, you can't react to a smile or a frown or something like that. Um, so yeah. I just have to just keep talking and hope, hope, hope it went okay. And, it, and apparently it did, so – uh, most most of my friends are pretty happy with it. No, definitely didn't. Anyone who hasn't seen it yet, jump online and, and look up um, Open Mike. Last week, last Tuesday, it was on with um, Jeff and Mike Sheen. It was a very interesting chat and good to see you in uh, in the flesh, mate. Uh, we only ever see the images of the, um, the, the famous shots of you in the glasses playing for Essendon, so it's good to see uh, you're looking fit and well and uh, everything's going well, your end. It's fantastic and... We really appreciate having you on. It's been great to have an insight. We might get you on again at some point. Anytime, uh, mate. Just give me a, a yell and I'll watch a few more games and uh, hopefully the virus won't get down your way, Dan. No, we're, we're sort of crossing our fingers down this way at the moment. Um, it's, it hasn't been too bad. It hasn't been too bad our way. I don't think... I think there was one in East Gippsland, which is you know two or three hours from where we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it hasn't been too bad our way. We've been really lucky, but... Uh, Melbourne not not good at the moment. So where you are, just uh, south of just south of Adelaide, there's probably a pretty good spot to be at the moment. I imagine. 
It is, and we, we don't have any cases here for the last how many days. Um, so it's pretty good. I think most people here are getting back to back to normal, um, and I think they're also, um, you know, observed the social distancing bit. I think that's yep. still been pretty good here. Yep. Um, but as you said, you know, we're an hour from Adelaide down here at beautiful Port Elliot. And for all the people in Leon Gatha and anywhere else that are listening, you should come over here for a holiday. It's fantastic. <laughs> Need to open your borders, man. <laughs> well, anyone but not Victoria at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No, we, we really appreciate it, Jeff, and thanks thanks for coming on, mate. We'll talk to you again yep. soon. Thanks, Jeff. Good on you, boys. See you, on. See you, mate. have the great Jeff Blethen on there and we uh, will get definitely get him on again he's always a fascinating chat whenever he comes over to Melbourne we catch up and yeah he's a wealth of knowledge and uh, as you can tell he still has a bit of passion for the Bombers there absolutely now we'll move on uh, we, we did skim over a couple of games there um, I, I think we wanted to get uh, Jeff's thoughts on a few I'm pretty sure up to West Coast and Sydney if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there isn't... I don't have a lot to say about this because it was sort of a... <laughs> it was a so-so game, you know? Like It was, it yeah, it really reach was. great heights. If anything, Sydney played West Coast back into a bit of form. I know it was Luke mm. Parker's 200th game. I actually... I've got a feeling I tipped the Swans, actually, so it was a bit of a letdown. But the Eagles, once they got their confidence back, which has just been lagging for weeks, uh, Elliot Yo, I mean, Nick Natanui was sensational... Uh, It was a very, very impressive performance from them in that sense, given what they've dished out so far. And it just makes you think, if they can sneak enough games, they're still a threat for the Premiership if they can just get into the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And I had similar thoughts to that as well. I mean, early on in the game, uh, it was just poor disposal. And uh, there was a couple of games like this this round where they just continually turned the ball over to each other and it was just play it played within the arcs and wasn't a nice game to watch at the start and as you say West Coast got their confidence up and got a bit of a run on um, and a lot of that I felt was due to Swan's poor decision making as well like they just held on the ball a bit too long or handballed one or two too many times and just ended up getting caught out and yeah Swan's uh not only are they still missing Buddy from when since he's been injured, they didn't really have anyone to kick to, and Papley wasn't really the option this round. Uh, in, in addition to that, they lost both their ruckmen who they were rotating through last week. So Sinclair and Naismith weren't playing this game either. So they were rotating uh, Alir Alir and someone else who escapes me. But uh, that may be a pretty decent reason why Nat Newey was having the run of the centre clearances uh, the Swans were at one time uh, Lear wasn't even going up for the contest they were just waiting to shark Nat Newey's tap and he caught on to it and ended up hitting to advantage and yeah the Eagles uh, back in with a bit of confidence and who knows what they'll do now Summary 11-11-77 the Eagles to 6-7-43 the Swans uh, I won't even add to that you've, you've done well there the next game down at Geelong um, was a bit, bit sad that a milestone game of such significance could be played in front of no one. Not even their mm. girlfriends, could, their wives could be there. Uh, yeah. Joel Selwood playing his 300th, one of the greatest leaders of all time, and not just at Geelong but anywhere, and also 
350 for the great Gary Ablett, which yep. if you saw his early games in his career, I was working at Channel 9 when Gaza started and we'd, we'd work a lot of Geelong games and uh, you just thought, yeah, he's got a few things, but he's, there's no way he's going to push on or even come close to the old man. And <laughs> he, he kicked into gear, I don't know, if, I'd be interested to hear his views on what really took him to the next level, but he, he went on to become, he has become one of the one of the best of our era and one of the best of any era and he's a credit to himself for what he's done and uh, yeah it was just sad that they had to um, walk off the ground with no one to applaud <laughs> to applaud them yeah. but pretty amazing they won 13 11 89 to 8 4 52 even though the game was a lot closer than that it was actually a fascinating contest for much of the day unfortunately the mm. The next up-and-comer, Matty Rowe, did his shoulder, which was a huge letdown given the build-up. We were hoping to see him go head-to-head with the greats. But um, overall, Geelong just had that bit more experience. I reckon that was it. That was about the extent of it. Otherwise, the Suns were right in it. Yeah, well, um, the the Cats uh, actually came out of the blocks a bit. The Suns got the first goal, and then it was a bit of an onslaught for Geelong, and they had a pretty decent lead at that quarter time break uh, but to the Suns credit they really pegged that back in the second quarter um, and doing that without Matty Rao like he has almost become a little bit of a spiritual leader up there now in the space it sounds a bit ridiculous to say but uh, so much hype around him and well I'm sure all the all the boys up there would have been getting behind him and saying this is your game you're going to come up against two legends of the game and to go out so early with that shoulder injury, uh, it was a bit deflating for me. It's the first time I was going to sit down and have a watch of him, and you know, I sat there and I thought, "Oh, something's going to happen to him," and bang, there it goes. So, um, not not that it's all about me, but uh, look at the the Suns even hit the lead in that third quarter. So, um, I think the thing that really let them down was poor disposal again. Like it's probably going to be a common theme of this summary of this round: is teams that lose of just had the poor disposal and they would have a, a couple of linking kicks or linking handballs and that one that connected up to the forward line just wasn't happening for them. They would miss their targets and then get hurt on the turnover. So, And as you say, it was a close game up to three-quarter time and then the Cats were just with experience, ran away with it. Us, the Suns might have lost that by 100 points, whereas to mm. have their, one of their main playmakers out of the game and to still only get done by... A late kick away, you know, that's that's a pretty important, pretty impressive step in their development, and it's always daunting going to Geelong. So even though there was no crowd there, just the effort to go there is always a challenge. So I reckon yeah. there's some really good signs there for the for the Suns going forward. Yeah, look, we've been saying for years they've got a lot of good kids, and I think there's just that one year that Suns were threatening to make the finals, and. Uh, Gary Ablett Jr. fell down with that injury and they all said if he had played, they would have made it. And They haven't come anywhere close since then and this is the closest they've looked since then. So I, I think it's pretty exciting to for the Suns right now. They're, as I say, they've got a lot of good kids and they seem to be getting all together. Ben King looks really good. So a lot of the focus is on Max King, obviously being down at St Kilda in Victoria. There's a bit more focus on him and um, Gold Coast are up there in the boondocks. But uh, he played pretty well for his he kicked a, a few goals I think three off the top of my head so 
I reckon both clubs will be desperately trying to pair the brothers together however they can, whichever yeah, way it goes. They already tried that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I reckon that's going to be the the go because imagine those two in your, as your two key pillars in your forward line. I mean, wow, they are something else. Yeah, I mean, they've still, still got a little bit of work to go, but yeah, when they're cherry ripe, uh, look out. They're still quite underdeveloped physically and all that. Um, to be doing what they're doing, I reckon, is pretty impressive, so... Yeah, Plenty absolutely. to look forward to up there, and well done to Ablett and Selwood. The the, the letdown for me was, uh, I tipped North Melbourne. I thought they'd get over the dogs. They were woeful North, and full credit to the dogs because thirteen nine eighty seven just flogged them five eight thirty eight. They, I was stunned that they they brought in their their Jeff Blethen talks about the grunt. And they brought in the one of the biggest grunt men in the competition in Ben Cunnington, but he was mm. clearly underdone. <laughs> not, yeah. you, just, you don't see that in today's game where a bloke comes in who's just not right. So I it put them on the back foot almost from the start. And But the dogs were super impressive. Yeah, and um, wouldn't have helped that they lost Sean Higgins as well. And I'm pretty sure they were down to one on the bench at some stage, weren't they, North? Uh, had three three injured players on the bench. Uh, but Josh Bruce has uh, finally sprung up out of his hole and down in uh, the kennel, <laughs> kick six. So uh, I think there was a few Happy Saints supporters that he wasn't necessarily doing that well because he left for a bigger deal down at the kennel. But um, now he's uh, now shown his worth a bit now that Norton's out. So he's done well. And I noticed the dogs had a good spread of... Uh, contributors across the board in the midfield didn't they um yeah you, you get some runs from Johannesson and you've got McRae running around Tim English really good job you know he, he, he's played a couple of good weeks hasn't yeah, he he's starting to it's amazing what happens when you get a bit of confidence isn't it that it just changes everything you know and that's what you can just see that in him they've got a few good kids like Vandermeer and um, a few young blokes running around, and then Eastern Wood was back to doing what he does best. He was spectacular to what he tried taking fifteen marks of the year. Uh, <laughs> I think he landed one or two of them, but he was he was sensational at, at at his role. He's a pretty inspiring leader. They've I really like what the dogs are doing. Whether they're a threat or not, I'm not sure. But they're I'd, back to enjoying watching them play. For a couple of years there, there wasn't that real enthusiasm to watch them after their premiership year because it just seemed to go a bit off the radar and a few injuries and a few different things but uh, there's something about their team at the moment that yeah, yeah. yeah well, you'd rather be They've watching clicked. them than North last, last week North were horrendous yeah look, the, the doggies are definitely clicked now um, little Caleb Daniel too running around in the helmet he's uh, pretty easy to spot uh, he's a fairly big contributor to that team too, and some have actually called him a bit of a barometer for the doggies. So, uh, noticed uh, the mullet Bailey Smith has was uh, out of the game as well. He only had two touches, so he must have gone out pretty early as well. Early and uh, concussed, yeah. Head clash wasn't wasn't pretty, and he's been a very good player, as you say. I mean, for Bontempelli to only have, I think it was twelve touches, and for them to <laughs> win like they do, you wouldn't have predicted that. So that's a pretty big. And you talk about guys that stand out on the footy field. One of them is um, Ben Brown for yeah. for North. Oh, I just with sideshow Bob Hare. Yeah, and the fifty-kilometer run-up. But he <laughs> he was just in that when when they needed it, he just wasn't there. And it's not all his fault, but he just wasn't. 
I think he, he might have went touchless for a half or something. It was crazy. Yeah. I was you just shaking your head thinking, wow, if you had this key pillar there, you'd you'd be wanting a bit more output from him when you're desperate. But again, at the same time, the dogs were, <laughs> were doing pretty well all over the field. So it wasn't just his his breakdown, but it, you just thought if ever been you needed someone to stand up and just clunk a few and just change the momentum, it, it didn't happen. Yeah, I think there's something in that. I think that's the second week in a row he's uh, had a pretty average game. So I dare say that the boys down at Arden Street will be having a look at that. Well, they won't be at Arden Street this week, but wherever hub they're going to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but wherever they end up at, they'll be chatting to Ben Brown to see how they can improve his game. Yeah. Gold Coast with, with Essendon and a few others, I think, but uh, someone can correct me on that. Uh, and the other one from the dogs, Riley West, he's a dead ringer for his daddy's movements. He is, isn't he? isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's the Bulldogs and North Melbourne. I'm just having a look what the next game is. Oh, I don't uh, think we'll spend too much time on Adelaide Frio, just quietly. Uh, no, that today, that was as bad a display of footy as you want to see. And we we will touch on the score and that's about it. Frio 8 beat... The Crows, 4-10-34. Uh, some can say it was close at parts. I think in the third quarter it was pretty level, but I, I got to just into the third quarter, I had to pull the pin because it was, it was embarrassing to watch. It really was. And that was, was probably uh, the best part of the game <laughs> was when it started to open up. Oh, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The first half was just dreadful to watch. It was a struggle and... Uh, once again, we touch on the poor disposal and they just t- continually turned it over to each other and no side looked better than each other. And the the worst thing is, like, we, we've now got... I touched on last week how the Americans are now watching it because they don't have any sport. Uh, this this was the first AFL game played on TV in prime time in America. <laughs> how would you feel watching that? <laughs> what is this rubbish? True. I mean... It- it just lacked everything. I and mean, when you're looking at blokes, where are we? 2020. So three years ago, uh, Taylor Walker was seen as you know one of the the he men, I guess, of the game. His team were flying. They were the buzz of the town. They were rocking mm. in Adelaide. It was it was on. They were they were on their way to a premiership. They get. They're in front early in, I think, the second quarter of that not 2017 grand final. So they're only two and a half quarters away from being premiers. And then they lose to Richmond. And the turning point in the, the two fortunes of those two clubs has been quite unbelievable. And a big article come out this week on the details of that infamous camp that they went on post that grand final. Um, at the time and three years on, I'm still staggered that it was allowed to happen um, when you, as I say, you were only a couple of quarters away from being a premiership team. So you're almost there. You know, mentally you're in a pretty good place. You just need, you need a bit of a pick-me-up mid, like after that season to actually just get you to believe that, you know, Richmond beat you, but uh, guess what? You're that close. Instead, yeah. they go away to this camp and, and, and everything else around their training over that summer as well was based around the fact that they were humiliated by Richmond, basically, and they had to strip themselves back to the core and, uh, you know, reveal all and uh, take abuse and be be humiliated in order to pick themselves up off the canvas. That shouldn't have been the mindset at all. And no. that, that That is... Leadership has to spill for that. And I realise uh, the coach is gone and so are football 
other people, football staff, and quite a few players have left, and some have tried but haven't been able to get clearances. But there's there's something that still is wrong at that club, and poor old Matty Nix has to come in, and hopefully he's given a long reign to to try and fix things. But that is that is the worst way to go about losing a grand final. Then um, then I've never seen anything as bad as that, where where you just completely capitulate when you were that close. Yeah, look, uh, Matty Nix has really been handed the poison chalice, hasn't he? Um, look, there's still Adelaide has still got some good plays there. When you, you rattle off names like Sloan, uh, Rory Laird, uh, what was the other one I had? Brody Smith, and then you've got the Crouches, who, granted, are more accumulators than they are damaging. Um, there, there is a core group to work around there, but they've now got... A lot of their, uh, set, well, not secondary players, but other best 22 players are gone now. They've they've disappeared, your Charlie Camerons and those sorts of guys. So they're now going to have to develop these kids who otherwise may not have been in that best 22, and I think we're seeing the uh, results of that there. I'd, I'd hate to be a, a crow in, in Adelaide at the moment because the media can be pretty brutal on them at the best of times if they don't go well, but it just must be... Uh, <laughs> must be held particularly with Port doing so well as well. Yeah, that's right. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an ongoing saga, and I, I don't know if certain players will recover from it, which is sad because they were a fascinating club to watch when they were up and flying. But yep. um, Melbourne Richmond today, the Tigers twelve seven seventy nine defeated Melbourne eight four fifty two. The difference for me in this game was. Richmond had numerous quality options up forward and Melbourne had their chances many times, turned it over horribly sometimes, but they just didn't have the real potent targets to kick to that could do what Richmond's could do at the right moments. And that was I felt that was almost the biggest difference. Yeah, there was, I was in and out of this game. I was, <laughs> full disclosure, cooking dinner while I was watching this game. So, um... Women that can multitask. I oh, know. Well, oh, I probably wouldn't go that far, but I was doing one thing with full concentration and the other thing with full concentration. But uh, th- there was that point where Melbourne had a bit of a run on, and they were about—I think they were about 16 points behind—and they had one out. Clayton Oliver had the ball, and he just butchered the kick. He was in the centre of the ground. All he had to do was kick it to his teammate, and it just missed him entirely. Turned over, Richmond goal, and that was the game over. So, um, look, while while Richmond probably did deserve to win that game and doing it with the amount of injuries they copped out of that game, which is slightly ridiculous, uh, Melbourne, had, as you say, had their chances and just didn't take them. Uh, you, you've got their injury list there, am I correct? You've got... Yeah, I wrote down a little bit of an injury list, so um, I forget what... I didn't quite catch what Cochin came off with, but uh, he uh, didn't play the last quarter or part of the last quarter. Uh, Nankervis and Prestia both had ankle injuries uh, and didn't play out the rest of the game. I'm pretty sure Nankervis came off in the third. I could be wrong on that. Um, Tom Lynch uh, hurt, broke his finger, I think, in the first quarter and played out the rest of the game with a glove on. So they popped his finger back in, probably gave him a jab, and said, here you go, go out and kick a few, and he did. And uh, Nathan Broad also dislocated a finger. There is a photo online of his uh, little pinky finger on a right angle there, so they just popped that in and sent him back out as well. So uh, Richmond did well, and 
look, they, they'll gain a bit of confidence out of that, and hopefully they'll for them and their supporters, they'll get a bit of a run on now. Be just the boost they need, and now they go away. I, I noticed there's an announcement that came out sort of during the game that um, with all the teams off to the hubs, ASAP, uh, interstate, and the Tigers are going to be... It's probably bad timing now that they've had a couple of important injuries, but the Tigers are going to be without... Looks like it. They're going to be without two of their absolute stars, who have chosen not to go into the hub for very good reasons, um, which I'm just looking at now. Um, Basher Hooley and Shane Edwards, two of their real playmakers. Um, Hooley's partner has just given birth, and Edwards' partner is expecting very soon. So uh, there was no chance they were getting any leave from uh, from uh, <laughs> from um, an understandable, and not that you want to be a away from your newborn child either so I can understand that and good on the club for um, well I assume for welcoming the, those decisions and I, they may not be the only ones, we haven't heard of what other clubs are doing yet but um, pretty tough we never know how much family they've got around that can support them for that time so there's, there's a few really tough challenges at the moment and I believe they still get maybe 50% of their pay or something like they're, 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 uh, they're still not out of out of work, just so to speak, but yeah. um, the human elements come into it. So that's interesting timing for the Tigers because, yes, they just get a bit of their mojo back, but then they may have a couple of injuries that are out for a few weeks. So there's some real uh, head-scratching moments ahead for uh, Damien Hardwick, but he'd be happy that uh, Clayton Oliver butchered that uh, that kick because the D's were coming and Richmond you're right there wasn't much on the bench anymore and it was uh, one of the worst kicks you'll ever see which I reckon will get replayed <laughs> a bit this week for for a kid that we pump up as a pretty hard nut who wins the ball and does a lot when you, you've got a free kick in the centre no pressure on you in terms of you're not going to be tackled or anything you've got five or ten seconds to take a breath and have a kick and you do a little ten metre dribbler that goes straight to the opposition and is a goal five seconds later. Uh, yeah, that's as bad as it gets on the footy field. Yeah, that's a coach killer, that one. It, um. it, well, it is because <laughs> Melbourne, I haven't got all the stats in front of me, but Melbourne, if you think how bad they were, they haven't won many games in the last how long. You know, they're back to ground zero again almost, which is staggering really when they were on the cusp and now they're, mm. you know, like they're, that's just they're seventeenth. They're one and one and three, so it's not great news for them. Obviously, they missed that game uh, that's been postponed against Essendon, so that doesn't help them either. Uh, but their percentage isn't great either. It's seventy eight, so they've got a big hill to climb. And as you say, they showed a lot of promise a couple of years ago, and they haven't been able to put it together. Then, even with the progression of guys like Petraka, um, who probably not a didn't develop as quickly as they might have hoped. Like he looked pretty ready-made for AFL in his first year, and didn't quite stick that way. I don't think from memory, but yeah, he's come along pretty well, and he was one of the leading possession getters on the on the day today. But yeah, Melbourne, um, a bit of work to do. One five of twenty-two the D's, so five and seventeen they were, and this year, what did you say? One and three. One and three. So what's that? Six and twenty. In your last, yeah. uh, I mean, wow, that's that's Doesn't pretty make for good reading. No, uh, I know, I know some frustrated Melbourne fans, and it just must be 
doing your head in because even when everything <laughs> looks to be on the again that's a, a bit like the crows there's something mentally going on because we know they've got the talent it's just that they're not delivering as we expect them to so what is happening and that that would be the head scratcher for simon goodwin as he travels i'm not sure where melbourne's going actually i haven't got my hub list in front of me but uh, no another advice so we'll, we'll just uh guess interstate and go from there yeah, yeah anywhere but victoria <laughs> is a pretty good place to be at the moment oh and south australia with. though they're not taking any no, taking no any jeff teams. wouldn't want to either because uh They've got a nice little uh, setup going on there. You don't want to, us invading you. And the last game, we just caught this uh, on Sunday night. Giants and Hawthorne didn't live up to the billing that I'd hoped. Uh, and I reckon Alastair Clarkson will be a little bit disappointed. The Hawks kicked 7 7 49. Giants were pretty impressive, really. 13 5 83. Yeah, they really uh, took. Took the, uh, I'll try that again. They really uh, took it to the Hawks, didn't they? Um, jumped out of the blocks early. Another team to do that. Four-one to zero-two in that first term. Uh, the Hawks, to the credit, pegged it back a little bit, in that, a little bit rather in that second term. But uh, second half was all GWS. And geez, uh, when you have a look at the key forwards for GWS, Finlayson, Himmelberg, Cameron, ten goals between them. I mean, Finlayson and Himmelberg had four each, and Cameron two. Uh, that's pretty hard to match up on, especially in this day and age with the shortened quarters. Uh, the, the bigger the lead is, the harder it is to peg back. Well, that would be in any situation, but especially now. And Josh Kelly, he's a star, isn't he? See why North and a few others were pretty keen to try and get him away from from Greater Western Sydney because he is a pretty smooth mover. And I, the Giants sort of out Hawthorne. Hawthorne. They did what the Hawks did a few years ago of the chip keep possession just don't let the other team touch it and that, that was uh that was the giants to a t and, and for some reason heath shaw was just left to just run a merry race he was he was just free to run around and do what he liked he was just racking up possessions at will with no pressure it was quite staggering but yeah well they probably looked at him going oh he's 33 34 he's not going to do too much but he, he's still got some legs in the or he's still got some pace in the old legs so no leave him alone at your own detriment um and a bit like awakening the giant with the eagles, um, I reckon the giants are sitting pretty in in a really weird season. They're probably still one of the real threats for the premiership if they can get it up like they did today and perform how they did. Um, they're as good as anyone going around, I would say. Yeah, when they're all switched on and ready to go, um, the giants are definitely one to watch out for. I think. Watch. They're a bit like the mm. Harlem Globe Globetrotters. You enjoy <laughs> you enjoy watching what Toby Green does, or who um, Shane Mumford's going to whack, or Jeremy Cameron. I thought playing up the ground. Geez, if he's got those two blokes up forward who can kick goals without him needed to be in the goal square, having him running around at 50, 60, 70 metres out and delivering it to them, he's almost a better field kick than he is a kick for goal. He's he's really impressive. So I. That was something that stood out for me that uh, Leon Cameron might be thinking, maybe we don't need you right down in the square all the time. Yeah, well, when you got Finlayson and Himmelberg uh, kicking goals, it, it, it's a good problem to have, I think. So he could be that link-up man that they may or may not need, but uh, it definitely doesn't hurt to have an extra one if they don't have one at all. For sure. So I'll just get the ladder up while we're chatting. Uh, that takes us to the end of round five, doesn't it? So, it what does. did you think? 
what did you think of the new? You know, we're we're probably the the only sport I can think of in the world, only real pro sport that changes the rules every every week, pretty much, and uh, and just has new interpretations almost game by game. It feels like sometimes, whereas the NFL, you can watch round one and round seventeen, and you see the exact same product in terms of expectations from what you're going to get from the referees up there and and all that. Our umpires. I reckon they had a shocker this week, and we all have shockers, and uh, Frio and Adelaide mm. had a shocker, and uh, a few other teams had shockers, but I reckon the umps had some stinkers this week. What did you think of the actual new, if you want to call it, interpretation of the holding the ball rule? Yeah, there was uh, definitely some frustrating decisions there, um, I must say. Um, look... Most of those uh, probably came out of the neutral games I was watching, so I didn't have too much uh, attachment to it, uh, which is nice. But look, the, the thing I've noticed as well is there's a lot more one-arm tackles, which clearly the the teams are training for. So uh, when that player gets pinned uh, or by that one arm and then put into the ground there's really not much they can do about that. Like they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. So if they don't dispose of it properly, they, they get pinged. And if they don't do anything, they'll get pinged. So they're, I, I'm going to sit on the fence with this. There's good and bad with it. Uh, it gets the game moving. But having said that, does the player get the correct opportunity to get rid of the ball? Some instances, probably yes. Some instances, probably no. So um, in terms of whether... We really should be being so knee-jerk reaction with uh, things that may not go right one week, so we change the rule to accommodate it. Um, yeah, you're right. We we probably are the one sport in the world that doesn't, or, or is the only one that really does it, and it's pretty consistent across the board. But I think the other thing we've got to take into account is it's probably one of the hardest games to adjudicate as well. Like you talk about NFL, and that's straight up and down. Rugby straight up and down. Soccer straight up and down. You, you've got a pretty clear guidelines of where you got. This is. 360 action coming from all directions and i tell you what I wouldn't want to be an umpire I've, I, <laughs> I remember umpiring a school game for a grade level underneath me and I didn't enjoy that at all so I can only imagine what it would be like to adjudicate <laughs> at the top level um, or even at a local level and you got those people just after you so yeah you have to have a, a very thick skin to be able to do it and, and credit to those umpires that continue to do it because without them, we don't really have a game, do we? No, and that's that's part of the issue I have is that it's a bloody hard game for them to umpire anyway. So why are we changing the rules on them every week so that the, they have to be thinking of new adjudications? Because with them having to think about this one all week, uh, gee, they missed some throws and some in the backs. And yeah. It was a shocker. It really was. And I don't usually bother blaming umpires for anything much because yeah. it's, it's just part of the game but uh just imagine what they have to think about it in a split second because it, it isn't consistent week after week so the, the stuff that gets thrown up it just takes you've got to be distracting it's got to be a real head <laughs> a head banger for them because yeah they they suddenly got to be across the next uh, thing that they're because it, it's clear that some weeks there are okay you need to focus more on this rule or it's it's obvious yeah, it is, and it, it stands out when it happens. So even though generally, as a general rule, they'll they'll say no, there's not a specific rule we're focusing on. There, you can tell when it is because there's 
across the board. So um, they probably should be a little bit more transparent than what they are. But look, um, I think the problem is that it is what it is um, to a certain extent. Yes, it's frustrating. Um, and I think oh, this year is more of an anomaly than the others, obviously. So, yeah, trying to do it normally they would do it through pre-season competitions and trial things and they don't have that luxury this year so but having said that they've changed rules throughout the season in previous seasons so yeah I don't have the answer and I'm not sure you might either but (laughs) if anyone does feel free to feel free to message us and let us know your thoughts Uh, and just the latter Port Adelaide still on top uh, just by percentage over Brisbane, both teams are on 16 points, one and two. Geelong's third, they're on 12 points, uh, as are the next few teams. The Saints are fourth, hey. they're on 12 points. How good's that for the Saints? Unfortunately, just ahead of us Bombers on 12 points, but we've still got a game in hand against uh, Melbourne of all teams. Um, You'd be pretty confident after this round. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Gold Coast are sixth, they're on 12 points as well. The Giants are 7th on 12 points. Bulldogs are 8th on 12 points. So there's some <laughs> interesting teams in the top 8 at this stage. Uh, Hawthorne are 9th on 12 points as well. And then you've got Collingwood 10th on 10 points. Richmond 11th on 10 points. Carlton are 12th on 8 points. North Melbourne, a disappointing North Melbourne this week, um, are 13th on 8 points. The Swans, so-so at the moment there. 14th on 8 points. The Eagles... 15th on 8 points. Frio are 16th, their first win of the season in one of the games of the year. And then <laughs> um, Melbourne, shockingly disappointing Melbourne, are 17th on 4 points. And the winless Crows are on 0 points there in 18th position and a pretty poor percentage as well. So that pretty much sums up our AFL coverage. I know we're, uh, again, pushing time, but just uh, have you got any local stuff for us, mate? What's been happening this week locally? Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll push through this as, as uh, quickly as I can. Uh, obviously, most of the senior or open age leagues have all decided that they will not be competing this year. So all the eight major competitions in the in the men's leagues, I, I noticed uh, throughout the, the week that the there's a couple of women's uh, teams in that compete in the southeastern women's football competition, uh, that being the Bass Coast Breakers down in South Gippsland and uh, Warrigal also have a team in Division Two and Three respectively. Uh, they announced that they won't be competing either, so they are out for the year. Uh, there was some leagues that were discussing whether to continue on with their junior competition, so I'll touch on those. Uh, the Yellen Bank and District Football League, Omeo District, North Gippie and East Gippie will not be holding junior competitions either. Uh, Gippsland League fully intend to host a, or compete with the under-18s and 16s competition. That includes junior netball, which is 13s, 15s and 17s. Uh, I'm told West Gippie are still intending to play juniors, but they're just finalising clubs that want to compete. So... Uh, that should come out soon. Uh, Mid Gippie and Alberton are probably the most interesting one. Obviously, they came out and said that they were going to see if they could amalgamate their junior 18s competition uh, just to, as a bit of a test to see how that works because we've got the issue of Alberton being recommended to merge with Mid Gippie in the, in the next year or so. So we'll see 
what comes out of that. I haven't heard any confirmation from that as such so far, but something will come out of that fairly soon. There are some junior competitions as well. So Warrigal District Junior Football Competition, or Football League rather, have uh, pegged a July 18 start. Central Gippsland District Football Competition, or Football League, I've got to say, comp- stop saying competition. Uh, Central Gippsland Junior District Football League, uh, July 19th. Southern Gippsland, July 12th. And I haven't heard anything about Southern District and East Gippsland. So uh, if anyone knows, feel free to contact me through my Gippsland footy platforms there. Uh, just some local news as well. There's been some re-signings from a coaching perspective. Uh, David Main at Coralin has been signed on for his sixth straight year. So uh, not that common this day and age for local guys to stay in their tenure that long. Uh, Coralin have obviously had some success, mostly in the when they were still in Ellenbank. So they won flags in 2015 and 16. Then they crossed over in 2017 to West Gippsland, where they've played in two grand finals, but haven't tasted success in West Gippie. So they shouldn't be too far off. They're always pretty much up there, the Cobras. Uh, staying in West Gippsland, this is a big one. So Harmit Singh signed by the Warrigal Industrials, or the Dusties as they're locally known. Uh, so just to roll off some of his credentials, uh, premierships with Morwell in 2013 and 14, so back-to-back. Uh, he was the coach of the Gippsland League Interleague team in 2014, 17 and 18. Uh, then he went over to Vermont in the Eastern Football League and he won back-to-back premierships there. So 2018 and 19, he's won flags there. He's also been in the AFL system for 13 years, so 10 with Essendon, oh, sorry, 10 with Collingwood and 3 with Essendon. Um, and he's a level 3 uh, coach, I believe. So I did have that written down somewhere, but I've lost that note. So apologies for people that want to know that. Uh, the other big signing was Jake Best. So South Gippsland local, originally from Foster. He won a 2010 flag down at Foster. Uh, he signed on with Trialgan, by the way. So two-time Gippsland League representative, uh, named in the Scorp- Casey Scorpions team of the decade. He also played under Harmit Singh at Vermont in those 2018 and 19 flags. So he's won a couple of flags there. And he's had a couple of stints up with TV Bombers in the NTFL as well. So well-travelled is Jake, and uh, hopefully we'll do well down at Trialgan. Uh, local players, really, to have uh, people of that quality coming back to uh, to coach and impart their knowledge down here. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, uh, I've had a couple of chats, uh, chats with Jake, rather, and it seems like a good bloke. I haven't met him in person yet, so hopefully that will happen soon. And uh, Harmit Singh uh, is, always has his... Uh, credentials sung very highly so um, Dusty's have got a really good one there I spoke with uh, Mark LePage, Stony Creek's president during the week and he said uh, plenty to talk about and uh, but some stuff he can't talk about at the moment it's still uh, happening behind the scenes but he's, he's happy to come on at some point so we will get him on in the near future and just get an update on what's happening Albert and Wise and who he's clashing with and what, uh, what what's going on. I reckon that'd be quite interesting as well. So we'll get some local people on in the coming weeks, hopefully. But uh, I'll tell you what, you won't get a more comprehensive 
quick snapshot wrap of uh, everything happening in local footy than what Owen Carter's just dished out. So well done, mate. <laughs> uh, um, you said you uh, you missed a couple of your notes there. Jeez, I don't know how big your notebook was, but you had a fair bit written down there. So fantastic work by you keeping keeping us on the pulse with what's going on. Yeah, no worries. Obviously, there's not much going on at the moment, so try to cram in as much as I can and keep the the local news relevant. So, yeah, well, I dare say we'll see more news in the way of coach re-signings or new signings. Uh, touching back on the Dusties and Trelgan, they've actually been very active on their socials, uh, announcing new players signed up and that sort of thing. So, I would imagine we'll see a lot more of that. So. I'll just keep tabs on that and bring that news to to hand when it comes to me fantastic stay tuned for all that everybody we hope we've been able to uh keep you up to date with what's just happened on the weekend gone by Uh, plenty happening uh some games were thrilling some games were snore fests but for (laughs) overall it was just great to have the footy on uh on the tv and Obviously, a lot better when Essendon and St Kilda are winning games. As as you can tell, oh, yes. we're a lot more upbeat this week than <laughs> we might have been otherwise. But uh, and thanks heaps, huge thanks for Jeff Blith and jumping on the phone from over in South Australia. Thank you, Jeff, giving us a bit of an up update. He's a fascinating man, and we will get him on again at some point. So we hope you've enjoyed the show, Owen. Have you got anything else you want to add? No, that's it for me. Thank you very much. It's good to see your smiling face again. Well, obviously the listeners won't be able to see that, but that's I can. So, yeah. <laughs> benefit of audio. Uh, don't need to see my noggin, but uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks everybody. We appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you go jump on papernews.com.au. Read, read oh, Maddie Dunn's, this time. <laughs> read Maddie Dunn's uh, <laughs> raunchy story about what we should and shouldn't be doing in the bedroom at the moment. Um, great advice for me, obviously, but uh, you might get something out of it as well. Don't know how Maddie's wife would have taken it, and I hope he's. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're still together after that. But uh, everything you need to know locally and anywhere else really is is on there. A great man, Owen Carter's even written on there at some point. So uh, plenty to read and tune in next week, uh, round six. Which uh, at the moment, who knows where the games will be played? It might be played in New Zealand the way we're going. Thanks for joining us on Any Given Monday. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. Any Given Monday.